Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 55. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norman Sherman. Well, I just stumbled upon something interesting in the news, and you know what that means. Drabble news, baby. San Diego, California. A community activist thinks a few couch potatoes, strategically placed on sidewalk benches in an upscale shopping district, will keep homeless people on their feet and off public park benches. Esther Viti, who oversees the donation of public benches for a merchants association, sent an email to 45 other activists last week asking them to sit in three-hour shifts, no bathroom breaks allowed. After all, you must occupy that bench continually for three hours to prevent that homeless person from sitting on that bench, the email said. Donors weren't happy that bums were sleeping on the benches that they had provided for the public, Viti said. The group previously tried installing benches with metal dividers that split the seats. Hobos simply began sleeping upright. No one has yet offered to sit a shift, Viti said. Some potential recruits expressed concern that the bench brigade could provoke retaliation from displaced transients. I did a little more research to find what else the activists have tried. Without any volunteers available, the group then installed rows of sharpened metal pikes along the benches, but found that when homeless people got tired, they simply wedged themselves between the pikes, often trapping and injuring the less elastic hobos. Miss Viti then rallied fundraising campaigns to buy thousands of brand new leather reclining benches to hopefully divert the filthy homeless people away from the clean public benches by luring them away to something that might be more appealing. While the vagrants took the bait, and the plan worked like a charm for a while, but the organization couldn't retain enough public funding to support maintenance of these lavished bum-bait benches. Finally, in a desperate attempt to fix the severe problem of people without homes sitting in places where people with homes sat when they weren't in their homes, Mrs. Viti and her organization, frustrated because of the lack of volunteers in the activist community, were forced to begin employing people to become professional bench warmers. It was an ingenious plan, really. Since the job didn't require a very extensive resume or impressive credentials, it actually became a prime job for homeless people, who then jumped at the opportunity to return back to their benches, with whiskey on the breath and paycheck in hand. Only in America, my friends. Only in America. Well, today's story also explores the idea of the American dream. It's called Circe's by Damien Walter. Damien has written for Electric Velocipede, Serendipity, Transmission, Pulp.net, and Sci-Fantastic Magazine, as well as the BBC Radio. He writes and reviews for Guardian Unlimited and The Fix. In 2005, he was shortlisted for the Douglas Copeland Short Fiction Prize and was recently awarded a grant by Arts Council England to work on his first novel. He lives in Leicester, UK with his girlfriend Lydia. They will soon be getting a cat. So, without further ado, Circe's by Damien Walter. Felix Duda has eight weeks left in the country on the morning the letter from the home office arrives. He fishes the ugly manila envelope from its hiding place amongst the glossy junk mail. 
0% interest loans and 12-inch pizza offers accumulate around the door like drifts of snow. They have misspelled his name again. Felix, like the cat. He tells them and tells them, but they do not listen. They tell Felix he has to go back to his country. That Felix cannot do. He comes over to be in a band. Crazy guys he found on YouTube that play furniture and kitchen appliances. They Skype together and they say, Hey, come over. So Felix comes. First night they get drunk on Smirnoff, and then on a dank Sunday in a dark room in a big factory, they bang on cupboards and whiz blenders whilst Felix plays the viola, his own that he brought all the way from Sophia. They all go quiet, and one says, Felix, you're a bad musician, man. And they all nod. Yep, you're bad, thinks Felix. Seven years in the academy, and they all call me bad musician. He leaves without a word. Felix phones his brother in Sophia, reads the letter from the home office down the line. Yanuk hisses through his lips. Da, you no want to come back to Sophia. Whole family are proud of Felix. If Felix come back now, you be failure again. Just like when leave the academy. What do I do? What do I do? Felix panics. Get a job, Felix. Every day he takes the bus into the city center to look for work. Job Center Plus, Office Angels, local newspaper on Tuesday and Thursday. No luck. Only the cheap side agency takes immigrant labor, so the polls tell him. Felix gets up at 4 a.m. and gets in a van to go who knows where to do who knows what. But when Felix gets there, a big fat pole tells him to F off or he'll break his fingers. My fingers, I'm alive, thinks Felix, more scared than he knew he could be. Ah, there ain't no jobs for bogus down here, brother. Have you tried burger places? Yeah, you know, McDonald's, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut. So Felix hunts the streets for places that stink of grease and chips. He starts with the big boys, but at the Golden Arches, they turn him away. Yeah, you're too old, says the ill girl behind the counter as she gives him a form to fill out. Yeah, they don't employ old people here because you qualify for minimum wage. Same story at Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pizza Hut. One week left, and Felix gets desperate. Roams the streets asking strangers to give him a job. Down a dark alley, he sits head in hand on the curb, all hope lost. Looks up with tears in his eyes, and there is the answer. The sign says, Help Wanted. Handwritten on paper hung in a dark window on the closed restaurant. Hello, says Felix. The door comes open in his hand. Calls two more times, but still no answer. He can't just walk in, can he? It is that, or go home. It is an expensive restaurant. The bar is made of hard wood, burnished like beaten bronze. 
High mirrors reflect deep shadows. Hundreds of upturned wine glasses, huge, line every table, polished into sparkling invisibility. Felix catches the scent of smoke. The tip of a burning cigar glows among the shadows, gripped in thick fingers. The other heavy hand swills thick brandy, sticky and dribbling over curved glass. Black eyes squint at Felix from a beefy face, attached to a big square head that juts from the open collar of a white chef's jacket. What are you doing in here? The chef mumbles through sausage lips. Eh, help wanted, Felix squeaks. He looks Felix up and down as he sucks on his cigar. Are you me? Felix shrugs, eyes wide with confusion. You chop vegetables? Felix nods. Wash plates? Nod. Mop of floors? Yes. Then you call me chef. Uh, follow me. The chef walks like an expert drunk with Felix trailing behind as they wind through row after row of tables. The place is bigger than Felix realized. Much bigger. The kitchens are yard after yard of shining steel, with the stink of bleach and strip lights that burn away every shadow. Racks of knives gleam like razors. The kitchen, the big chef says, grinning. Then he pulls the door shut, steps up so close that Felix can feel the brandy-soaked heat of his breath, sticks a carrot-shaped finger in Felix's face, and whispers, You never go out that way, understand? Uh, yes. Yes what? Yes, uh, chef. The furious grin returns. Felix chops vegetables. Felix mops floors. Felix polishes cutlery until the spoons shine like moons. Felix hauls giant canisters of olive oil from the larder. Felix stirs bubbling pots of sauce on the hob. And as Felix works, others arrive. Slim, dark-featured men in spotless white chef's jackets and blue check trousers. They do not look at him. They do not talk. They cook. They approach each new dish like a chess player approaching his next move. It must be evening by now, Felix thinks. The sound coming from the restaurant has been growing louder for hours. The clink of knives and forks, the pop and glug of wine poured into glasses, the low murmur of voices in conversation, the twitter, bellow, and guffaw of uncontrolled laughter. It grows louder and louder until even the cacophony of the kitchen is drowned out. Felix cleans plates. What an easy job, he thinks at first. One squish from the power hose, and the plates are as good as new. And then Felix wonders why the plates come back so clean, with just the littlest bit of sauce stuck to the edges. They are licking the plates clean, thinks Felix. Each and every one of them. These are some chefs. Then, on one plate, Felix sees something like the shape of a twinged butterfly outlined in sauce. 
The kitchen doors flap open, and the noise of the restaurant overwhelms Felix. And then he hears a snorting, grunting puff. Looking back, he sees a pig, a pink pig, so shiny it looks as though it had been polished. The pig skitters on sharp trotters over the smooth kitchen tiles, squeaking and oinking. The head chef lurches forward, using his vast weight and huge outstretched arms. He herds the pig back into the restaurant. A wrong way, monsieur, he bellows. As he pushes through the door, he shoots Felix a threatening grimace. Felix looks down at the unwashed plate, now clearly branded with a small, sharp trotter print. Felix cannot help himself. With the horrendous languor of syrup dripping onto silk, he is drawn towards the doors flapping open in the head chef's wake. At first, they do not notice Felix. Hundreds of diners continue their feast, oblivious of his presence. Men in finely tailored suits, women in delicate and revealing evening gowns, all of them talking and laughing far too loudly to ever notice him. But Felix Duda has seen these men and women before. He knows their faces, has seen them smiling out at him from newspaper pages or on TV screens every day. Felix recognizes these people of fame and celebrity, gorging themselves on a feast of rich meats. Far across the restaurant, Felix's eye is caught by one woman more beautiful than all of the others. Hair of burning auburn piled high, head thrown back in laughter, exposing the pale skin of her throat. Around her cluster many men of great power, politicians and businessmen, all pushing against one another in a desperate jostle to be close to her. Felix looks at the beautiful woman. Transfixed, he stares into violet eyes, luminous and deep. She looks at me, Felix thinks. Too late. Panic swells on Felix's chest. The restaurant has grown enormous, vast beyond his understanding. Reflected in polished mirrors, the world of the powerful extends rank upon rank into infinity. But in the mirrors, Felix sees not people, but pigs. Shining pink pigs sit wedged on their haunches in high-back chairs. Dark suits and delicate gowns stretched over corpulent flesh. Forks and knives clutched awkwardly in ungainly trotters. For a moment they are silent, staring at Felix through beady black eyes. And then they squeal as one, the high whine of enraged swine. Run. The hot stink of brandy fills Felix's nostrils as the fat chef spits the word into his ear and the huge arms thrust Felix forward, pushing him towards the exit door. Felix flees as the powerful pigs slide from their seats to attack him. He hurtles over porcine bodies and bounds past snorting snouts. Pulling the door open, he looks back. The chef stands hip-deep in swine, screaming at the auburn beauty one huge hand gripping the kitchen cleaver. Felix plunges through the dark night, running until his lungs burn and he collapses into a gutter. I will go home, I will go home, I will go home. 
The tears finally come when he realizes that he can never go home. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Recently, listener The Weenus started a thread in the Drabblecast forums documenting all the swine-related material we've had here on the Drabblecast. I don't really have an explanation for all that. It just kind of keeps popping up, you know? We're not really being partial. It's just that pigs keep doing cool stuff, like getting themselves genetically engineered or infecting people who breathe in their brains with rare neurological disorders. I don't make this stuff up. Okay, well, <laughs> a lot of times I do, but, you know, it's a brutal struggle out there in the podcasting world to stay fresh and relevant. We're just trying to stay on the cutting edge. And, well, pigs are the new giant squid, people. Anyway, feedback for episode 48, The Destiny of Man, by Drew Arents. I'll do this a little different than usual. Rather than going into the story, I'll quote several listeners completely out of context to give you an idea of the story and how it was received. Philippa said, Yeah, but space worms that get eaten by birds need corpses to survive and live in a park. Mr. Tweedy said, Sure, there are worms in my life, but I want to get rid of them. Scott said, are worms really that picky? Is no one dying of accidents? Adam asked, Why do we call them earthworms? I mean, where else would they come from? G.E. Lee said, You know, this is the second time today I've explained the rationale for eating younger people versus older people on completely unrelated topics. Should I be concerned? And Snonker summed everything up by saying, Uh, the worm story was pretty good. So there you go. It was pretty good. Well, anyways, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you certainly can share it with whoever you want. The Drabblecast continues to rely on the generous support of our listeners to pay our authors and entertain you, to some extent, every week. If you can, consider donating to us via the PayPal link on our website, or tell a friend about us. Tune in next week for more good times. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you what Hermes told Odysseus. Where are you going now, my unlucky friend? Trekking over the hills alone in unfamiliar country? Your men are all in there in Circe's palace, cooped like swine. Have you come to set them free? <laughs> well, I warn you, you won't get home yourself. And with the slam of the door, they had Tony on force with the rutabaga shoved to the hills. With the rutabaga shoved to the hills. This is for Johnny Cubano. And this is for Pedro the Stitch And this is for